opportunity to win a second Super Bowl. Woo! Are the Chiefs the only thing Kansas Cityans can talk about right now? Please don't call me a party pooper, but we're going to be tracking some other pretty important stories you may want to know about, from the pandemic to politics, and yes, to parades, our week's biggest newsmakers and moments dissected straight ahead on Week in Review. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, Haas and Wilkerson Insurance, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Hello and welcome, I'm Nick Haynes. Are you suffering from news overload? Well, we are trying to ease your burden this half hour as we separate the most important stories happening where we live, and all in less than 30 minutes. On that journey with us, Mr. Up to Date on KCURFM, Steve Kraske, and the news director at our NPR affiliate, Lisa Rodriguez, from KNBC 9 News, chief political reporter Michael Mahoney, and the editor of The Call newspaper, Eric Wesson. Let me say to begin with that I really can't stand talking about the same thing over and over and over again on, the, on this program. So let's get this over with quickly, because we've talked about this topic in some shape or form for three weeks in a row now. But this week, the mayor makes it official. There will be no public celebration if the Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl next weekend. The mayor says it would be irresponsible. Now, interestingly, announcement was made on the same day that the Kansas City Metro was recording the lowest number of COVID cases in three months. Not since October had the daily tally of virus infections been so low. So, Lisa Rodriguez, a number of our viewers have been asking, what would it have taken for the city to say yes? If it's not 400 cases a day, would they have said yes if there was less than 300, 200, 100? Oh, I, I have a feeling that, that the only way we would have given the green light to a parade is when the vaccine is widely available to the general public. I just think although a parade, an outdoor parade is maybe considered one of the safer activities you can do with something of this magnitude with so many people, it's just, it would be impossible to control. It would be impossible to enforce social distancing there. You've got all of this excitement for the chiefs. You know, there may be some, some alcohol flowing. Everyone's pretty festive. I think it just would have been impossible to control. And unless we know that we've got some some level of immunity, I don't think there would have been a call. Steve. You know, I, I agree with Lisa. And I said this a couple of weeks ago on this show, Nick. I, I think everyone's making a smart call here. Having said that, this is football. This is Kansas City. If it's at all possible in any way, I, there's going to be a celebration for this team should it win the Super Bowl. It may not be till this summer. It may not be in the way we saw it the first time around. But I got to believe something's going to happen down the road to celebrate this team if they win two in a row. Okay, I, I want to bring in Eric, but let me ask you this. What about that invitation from Cass County officials who now want to try and bring a celebration to their neck of the woods where no mask mandate is even in place? To have someone come out preemptively and pour cold water over something that brings so much joy and happiness uh, and hope, quite frankly, which we need a lot of right now. And so we'd be honored to, to host any kind of celebration for a Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl win. All righty, Eric, did uh, Clay, uh, Cass County rather ever get a response on that? Uh, they got a no response from the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think what we we missed in all of the hype and the excitement that we have is the NFL controls what 
how the parades are done or if they're done. And the NFL said no parades anywhere under any circumstances. And uh, the chief said that they wouldn't be participating in any either way. I, I did some texting last night with uh, Mayor Lucas, and that was the final outcome that the chiefs weren't going to do it and a little more digging, and the NFL said, no way, Jose. But what about, so, yeah, Michael, th th this talk about, well, let's delay this, let's have it later, but I'm not convinced we're going to be out of the woods on COVID for quite some time. I can't believe they're going to do a parade in the fall when you have um, the Chiefs back in action. And if it was going to be next year, the, the, you know, someone else might have won the Super Bowl. It might seem odd, wouldn't it? Yeah, um... Something this summer, I think, at least in my mind, is is unlikely because the luster of even a second championship, and they got to win that game first, all right, number one, um, it w would fade. And the idea of any sort of uh, the parade or gathering right now, given the pandemic conditions, is irresponsible. However, I have no doubt, as Steve sort of alluded to a moment ago, there are going to be spontaneous uh, celebrations uh, that uh, are all over this town if they win that game. If they don't, it's a moot point. We're talking about the game. Correct one thing. I want to correct one thing real quickly. You said if some other team wins the Super Bowl next year, Nick, they're going to win it this year. They're going to win and it next, next year. year. And get your facts I was going right to say there. the okay. same thing, Steve. We'll hold you to that, Steve. As we, we record these programs, we'll play it back to you. Now, the NFL also, by the way, announced they're giving away 7,500 free tickets to vaccinated medical workers for the big game. I see that 18 workers at KU Hospital, Lisa, were lucky enough to get them. Is that like winning Willy Wonka's golden ticket I mean yes <laughs> I would say it probably is like winning Willy Wonka's golden ticket now these are to note these um, they did specify that they are giving these offering these tickets to healthcare workers that have already been vaccinated and gotten their two doses but it's it's not without risk there is still travel involved but but for those that can be there and enjoy the game I'm sure it'll be a, a moment that they'll remember forever Michael yeah, it no, no doubt would be a, a moment of a lifetime, but um, travel, as Lisa just indicated, is problematic right now. I don't know, know uh, if I would get on an airplane and fly to Tampa or anywhere else for that matter right now. It's interesting, though, I Eric. I would drive down there. I would drive. I didn't have to fly. If I could go in a go-kart or a moped, <laughs> I'd take that down there. There's a, yes. See. There's a Eric, lot of, you'll have a, Eric, you'll have a better seat in front of your two. There's a lot of positive feedback that goes with the NFL doing this. Why couldn't Kansas City have done something like this and hosted a lottery if the Chiefs were to win and, say, bring in 17,000 people to Arrowhead Stadium? You could have the players on the field and, and you could broadcast the whole thing, but you'd still give an opportunity for some people, Eric. Yeah, that would have been an alternative. Uh, I was thinking maybe put some of the chiefs in the streetcar and line some cars up and one could go one side and they could hang out the streetcar and wave. You know, there are some options, but again, it's up to the chiefs and it's up to the NFL. Public safety is something that's very important now. 
Uh, so I, I don't think it'll happen. In other news this week, four schools in the Shawnee Mission School District are now looking for new mascots after the school board unanimously votes to remove any names and images that could be considered derogatory to Native Americans. Shawnee Mission North High School attracting most of the attention. The school's teams are known as the Indians, and their mascot features a Native American man in full headdress. Two years ago, the Shawnee Mission School District launched an exhaustive study and decided, Steve Kraske, to keep the Indians' mascot at the school on balance. They decided it was not inappropriate or offensive. So what changed? Because, Nick, residents kept the pressure on. There was an online petition, 4,500, 4,600 people plus signed that thing. This issue simply never went away. I know you're going to ask in just a moment about what this means for the Chiefs, but this issue is not going away. Uh, public officials are having to grapple with it, and they're going to have to deal with it because the public, uh, the thinking on this is slowly evolving over time. Okay, does that have an influence on the Chiefs, Eric Wesson, or is it, oh, this is just a high school, this is just a school district, that isn't the same as the NFL? This is a school district, that's, just, that's the same, it's not the same as the NFL, so there's going to be a different mindset with that. Michael. You know, if somebody, I, I agree 100% with, uh, uh, with Eric on this, but if the dynamic here changes and say somebody like Mahomes comes out and says, ah, I don't know if this is appropriate, especially the way it's handled here in Kansas City, because it's supposed to be named after Chief Roe Bartle, but there's no Midwestern heavy set politician imagery out there. Uh, if somebody like Mahomes came out and said, maybe I'm not uh, comfortable with this, that might change things. But not right now for the Chiefs. But, but this issue has come up now for several months from the end of last year where we had two teams, professional teams, make name changes, Lisa, yet no word from Patrick Mahomes. Why should we expect any change now? I think, you know, Patrick Mahomes is, I think, you know, he, he is kind of, you know, evolving along with public opinion. He made a, you know, a big step at the beginning of this season supporting Black Lives Matter. It took years for any professional football player besides Colin Kaepernick to get to that point. Um, and so I, I wouldn't rule it out as a possibility from Patrick Mahomes. The other thing I would say that might put any pressure on the Chiefs is if they start losing support from businesses or from or from sponsors. If, if it starts to affect their bottom line, I bet they're going to take this a lot more seriously. Steve. You know, Nick, I was really struck by what Ben Barnes had to say about this. He's chief of the Shawnee tribe in response to the Shawnee Mission Schools. He once again pointed out the obvious. People are not mascots. People are not caricatures. And that thinking is not going away. The Chiefs can wish this away all they want. They're going to have to continue to grapple with this for years to come. Did you notice how many national newspapers and TV stations picked up the story this week of those long lines of seniors waiting for vaccines in Johnson County? The Shawnee Mission Post claims the scene was like a complete zoo with 80-year-olds being forced to line up outside in freezing temperatures. ABC ran the story. So did the New York Daily News. Johnson County officials saying they will do better. Have they, Michael? Yeah, the second day was much more organized and uh, logistically a lot smoother than the first. Uh, so much of this, uh, Nick, as you know, and everybody else on this panel and most of our viewers, is optics. And the optics here were absolutely awful. Johnson County apologized for it. They did much better the se uh, second day. But the fact remains that 
vaccinations, their uh, availability and the ability of people to get them around here is uh, real troublesome. Missouri is last in vaccinations. Kansas is near the bottom of it. Just did a story this past week about the fact that Missouri health inspectors that were going into long-term care facilities were not vaccinated before they were doing that, nor were the, uh, the, the patient advocates. And then there's the other story about Missouri legislators getting vaccines that probably should have went to somebody else. The optics of stories like this, particularly the one in Johnson County, is not good. And... It's just got to get better. And in Kansas City, Missouri, Lisa, um, the public health department got more than 1,200 calls, uh, voicemails from residents, totally confused, no idea how to sign up for vaccines, and mainly because not everybody has a computer. And every, all of these sign-ups seem to be everything is online. Well, what if you don't have access to the Internet? I think, I think, you know, like Michael said, this, the whole vaccine rollout has been messy. And, and, you, and you see that even the health department leaders are not sure when they're going to get uh, their doses, how many they're going to have. And so really the confusion starts from the very top. Um, but absolutely, the, the uh, issue of access and Internet to access is huge, particularly when throughout this whole year we've been talking about how this pandemic, how this disease is particularly hitting communities of color, uh, distressed census tracts. These people who don't have access uh, to equitable health care are also the ones that don't have access to the Internet. So there's just been confusion all around, people showing up at vaccine sites. It's, it's a mess. Eric. You know, one of the things, and I know it's a leadership thing uh, with the mayor, but I know there's been a couple of comments that I've heard He's getting his second shot. He's in his 30s. Somebody that's 61 years old with health conditions can't get it. So I, I agree with my colleagues. It's just a bad optic right now. And I think Steve had something on his show today about it or yesterday about uh, people and the vaccine and how that thing is rolling out. Nick, I just want to underscore what something Lisa said. I did have the head of Wyandotte County Public Health on the show yesterday, and she was talking about this idea that it may be a Monday. They find out they're getting 2,000 doses coming in on Wednesday, and then they've got to line up people and figure out how to get people vaccinated within two days. The whole thing's a mess. It didn't help that the Trump administration didn't communicate its plans with the incoming Biden administration. It doesn't help that we have the federal government handing off power to the states, the states handing off power to the counties. No one knows who's in charge. It doesn't help that we've underfunded public health agencies for decades in this country. The problems are just stacking up on top of each other. We're all going to have to be patient here because it's just going to be a long rollout here. That's all there is to it. Eric. Yeah, and uh, as you speak of it, this morning when I came in, I had a phone call from one of our readers wanting to know how she could sign up for it because she didn't have a computer. So I think that sometime, uh, somewhere along the line, somebody's going to have to say, I think Swope Health Services, they have a system for mobile units. I think they're going to have to get those mobile units out. But how are you going to reach the people that are underserved, especially in the black community, on getting them on the list to even get the vaccine? I think that's a conversation that really needs to come to the forefront. Michael. And the other thing, the Biden administration uh, just rolled out earlier this week a story that they'd like to ship vaccine directly to the local drugstores, the local pharmacies. And uh, 
Uh, they would take some of the supplies that had been being used for the long-term care facilities, which many, at least in Missouri and Kansas, have now received those shots, and get them to uh, the, the pharmacies. These are the folks that give uh, flu shots and sh uh, uh, shingle shots all the time. They know, they know how to administer a, a shot. And uh, some folks might be a little more comfortable going to the drugstore down the corner than they are to a public health department where they may not know where it is. But this whole, this whole problem uh, that we're talking about in terms of access to the vaccines and equity and equality in getting them is real serious. And if it's not addressed, it's going to uh, even accelerate people's lack of confidence in this. People are already tired of masks and social distancing. It's a, it can be a, a compounding problem. Let's move next to what your local political leaders have been up to this week. From Kansas is recognized. Mr. President, thank you. At the start of this week, Kansas Senator Jerry Moran was getting lots of attention. He was on a short list of just six senators who had still not disclosed his position on the trial of former President Donald Trump. Now we know Moran joined with our, our other three local senators to dismiss the trial before it takes place on the grounds that it's unconstitutional. What are we to read into Moran's decision and the votes of the rest of our Kansas and Missouri senators in Washington, Steve? Well, I think one thing is Senator Moran is, has a reputation for playing his cards close to his vest, and people oftentimes go a long time without knowing where, where he's going to land. I think it also suggests, Nick, uh, the simple politics here. Donald Trump won Kansas by 14 points a few months ago. Uh, Jerry Moran, who is expected to seek re-election, we don't know for sure, is simply going with the flow here in a bid to uh, win enough votes to get a, a third term in the U.S. Senate. You say he, you know, he's expected to run for re-election. We had a third United States senator, Republican, announced they're not going to run again in 2022. That was Rob Portman of Ohio, uh, Michael Mahoney. He says it's just become too difficult. It's too hard to break through the political deadlock. Is there any evidence whatsoever that Jerry Moran would say the same thing, or even Roy Blunt in Missouri, who is up for re-election next year, too? No, the, the latest um, handicapping on this is that uh, Moran and Blunt are very safe, although keep your eye on the Missouri Senate race. There may be a challenge by Eric Greitens, the former governor. The, the other thing is the whole idea of impeachment, too, is now beginning to look like a branch, uh, a branch in a tree with a lot of leaves in mid-November. Uh, the Democrats are going to go through with this. They do not have the votes to convict. They do not have the votes to remove uh, Trump and disqualify him is what I'm saying uh, from ever running for office, and uh, they're they're going to go through the motions on the, on this thing. But the, this cake is already baked. Now, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley was also in the spotlight for a third successive week, and it wasn't just because he made the front cover of the New York Post with duct tape over his mouth amid the claim he was being muzzled. Hawley announces on Fox News he will not be a candidate for president in 2024. Did I read somewhere today that you have decided against running for president in 2024? Oh, I, I've always said, Maria, that I'm, I'm not running for president. It's a privilege to represent the state of Missouri in the United States Senate. I just got elected barely two years ago. There's a lot of work to do, and I look forward to continuing to fight for Missouri every day that I can. All righty, Eric Wesson, did you see that coming? <laughs> uh, they always change their mind. But I, I, you know, today is one thing, tomorrow it could be something else. But I do kind of want to back up to something that Mike said. If this doesn't rise to the level of impeachment, what we saw on January the 6th, the mentality behind it, the comments that was made, what really does rise to that level? 
when we saw that insurrection there, if we sweep that under the rug or say that this isn't, you know, he's gone, we can't do anything, there's not a provision in there to impeach a... Okay, or, uh, well, let, let's get Michael Mahoney's answer then. Not, uh, numbers. Uh, yeah, uh, all politics is counting noses, and uh, yeah. uh, the virtue of it is the virtue of it. Counting the noses is is the reality of it, and the, and the votes aren't there. Interestingly enough, though, at the end of this week, uh, Josh Hawley started finally talking to Missouri news outlets. He did an interview with KMOX Radio over in St. Louis on uh, Wednesday. He did one with uh, our friend on this show, Pete Mundo, on KCMO uh, Talk Radio on uh, thir Thursday. He has yet to talk to um, a lot of other news outlets and no TV stations here in Missouri, but he is doing lots of interviews on, on, on Fox. So watch this over the next few days and certainly into this coming week about uh, Hawley's profile in Missouri. He talks a lot about representing the people of Missouri, uh, and he's going to start reaching out, I think, uh, for more Missouri interviews. Eric, well, Eric Wesson, yeah. Steve, Eric Wesson said that uh, he thought that Josh Hawley would still change his mind. Do you believe that? Well, it, it seems to me that Josh is drawing a line in the sand. He's saying he's not going to do it. And I got to tell you, Nick, I was surprised. I, I think the betting line was everything that Josh Hawley had been doing for the last couple of years was geared toward making a run for the big uh, kahuna here. And clearly the events of the past few weeks have uh, taken a bite out of his backside. Having said that, his poll numbers in Missouri aren't bad, they have dropped a little bit. His poll numbers nationally, he's become better known as a result of all this. So yes, I was a little surprised. I think we've got to take him at his word. I, he, I think he's out for 2024. And it's interesting, he's actually the only, there's only two senators in the entire country who have objected to every single one of Joe Biden's cabinet uh, appointees. And Josh Hawley is one of them, Lisa, and the other uh, is Mike Lee of uh, Utah. Why all of this um, if he's not running for president? I think, I mean, he's, he's cementing who he is as, as a politician and as a senator, and he is seeing his support, while his poll numbers in Missouri may have dropped a little bit, his supporters are just as fervent um, uh, for, you know, in supporting him as they've always been. They love that he's um, standing up to Biden. They love that he's behind uh, Donald Trump, and I don't see that changing. So I don't see how... Um, how his moves in in voting against all of these Biden appointees um, would hurt him at all. It's a very safe move. Michael. Number one, uh, Lisa's right on the button here. Number one, remember that Josh Hawley had a fellow by the name of Donald Trump in in for his campaign for, I think it was seven times. You know, Sorry. the McCaskill line was, I thought he was running for governor of Missouri, uh, <laughs> meaning uh, talking about pre uh, President Trump. Josh Hawley has always been a Donald Trump loyalist and a conservative Republican. Nothing is going to change on that. And then the other thing about whether or not he runs in 2024, this is the end of the first month of 2021. 24 is a lifetime from now in politics. We'll, uh, we'll see. But you've got to take him in his word right, uh, right now. But 2024 is a long way away. Eric. I think one of the things about him that he's got to learn in this process is he represents the whole state of Missouri, whether you voted for him or not, and not just rural Missouri. I've left three messages with his D.C. office and his Missouri office. Nobody's ever returned a phone call. And we're talking about not just this period, but when he was uh, 
uh, earlier when he, in his term. So he's got to realize he runs everybody in the state of Missouri. Well, also representing the entire state of Missouri is Missouri Governor Mike Parson. He was in the spotlight this week as he delivered the annual State of the State Address. We have been working day in and day out to fight COVID-19 while also dealing with civil unrest, violent crime, and a difficult budget. It was remarkable that the speech took place at all. Last week, the Missouri House shut down after a COVID outbreak at the Capitol. Just a few weeks ago, concerns about spreading the virus prompted Kansas Governor Laura Kelly to abandon her traditional speech before the legislature, choosing instead to speak to a single camera in her office. I take it Mike Parson saw no reason to dispense with the pomp and circumstance of the occasion. Michael? Not so fast. Um, the speech that Parson gives to a joint session of the legislature has always or traditionally been in the Missouri House chambers. Because of COVID concerns and the factor of the snowstorm in mid-Missouri uh, in the middle of the week. But the COVID concerns had them move this speech from the House chambers to the Senate chambers. And the other thing that was interesting about it was uh, the governor uh, vigorously defended his actions in handling the, uh, the crisis, but he did not mention uh, any of the difficulties with uh, vaccine distribution in, in the state. But I did see a lot of press releases from medical groups, from cancer survivors and so forth in the state of Missouri, uh, talking about, Steve, that um, the governor did commit to making the money available to make sure that the state followed through on the vote last year for Medicaid expansion. Exactly, Nick. There wasn't a whole lot of news on the COVID front in this speech, but it was interesting to hear the governor talk about Medicaid expansion. If there was a mystery heading into this address the past few weeks, it was whether this administration would get wholeheartedly behind this Medicaid expansion uh, amendment that, that the voters approved uh, last summer. Parsons on board. He's going, they're going full board here to get this thing uh, geared up and running. The interesting thing, Nick, is Republicans said for years that the state couldn't afford Medicaid expansion. The state's going to be able to do this in year one without cutting any other program. There is concern about the out years, but we can do this thing. Uh, Elisa, was there anything else you learned from this speech that uh, we weren't expecting? He did mention during the speech that the first piece of legislation he'd like to see cross his desk is uh, uh, COVID liability protections, protecting businesses from COVID-related lawsuits. Now, that's been, um, you know, a point of tension between Democrats as well that says that you shouldn't, you know, your first move should be protecting people, not businesses. Um, but that's something that came up um, during the special sessions in the summer. They decided not to take action on it until the regular session. So it was, it was interesting to see that as his first, as his priority as far as first piece of legislation. Michael. Two quick things. Number one, he said that they that he would implement. The governor said he would implement uh, the Medicaid expansion, but he also warned that it could have a strain on other parts of the budget. And the other thing to remember here is that the governor proposes ideas, but a legislature executes them. So they are the ones that, uh, that 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 build the budget. And the other thing that I found interesting, along with everything else that was just mentioned here, is the governor is proposing a tax increase, and the tax increase would be taxing, putting in, assessing a Missouri sales tax on goods bought online. And uh, he says that would equal uh, the footing between Missouri's uh, brick and mortar stores and uh, buying purchases online. So um, he's, he wants to push for that. 
Okay, Steve. Just quickly, Nick, I want to be real clear here. The governor's proposing a hundred million bucks for highways, full funding of education, restoring higher education funding. There's no sign that in this year's budget, Medicaid expansion is hurting at all. Now, out years going forward, perhaps we're fine this year. We do have two states that we deal with, of course, in Kansas City, the other one being in Kansas, and their lawmakers uh, have been tackling the issue of abortion. That's been dominating legislators' attention, and you could be deciding this issue yourself at the ballot box. Lawmakers moving closer this week in Kansas to adding an abortion amendment to the Constitution that you would vote on in August of next year. So what's really at stake? I've read in different accounts that the amendment would not ban abortion, but would just overturn a recent Kansas Supreme Court decision that declared women have a right to the procedure. So what difference would it actually make if this is added to the Kansas Constitution? Well, it, it doesn't ban abortion, Nick, but it does overturn this 2019 Supreme Court ruling. I think the bottom line is you could expect that it'll be more difficult to challenge restrictions uh, going forward uh, if the legislature has its way with this thing. And the other thing, Nick, on this is the fact that, that this would uh, put the abortion issue inside of the Kansas Constitution. Now, one of the reasons conservatives got uh, so upset, among several, is the fact that they believe that the Kansas State Supreme Court interpreted a right to abortion in the, in the Kansas Constitution, even though the word doesn't appear in that. But this is a big deal to put, it's a big deal to put anything into a state or federal constitution. And that's what's happening here. Lisa. I think Michael's exactly right. Um, it's a it's a huge deal to to put that issue something that um, you know where opinions are are changing and kind of sway as as far as uh, where the politics are and where the people in power are in a certain moment. It's it's huge to put it in there. And um, you know, frankly, if if the Constitution explicitly says that that women do not have a right to an abortion, it becomes incredibly hard to um, to push back on any legislation restricting that so that it is not an option at all. Nick, if this goes to a vote of the people this summer, there is going to be a war in Kansas on every uh, Kansans TV screens that they haven't seen in forever. It's going to be a monumental fight. And that's next summer that we would be looking at that. Kansas City has a new sports team this week for the first time in 60 years. The Kansas City Monarchs are back in action. The ownership group behind the T-Bones minor league baseball team have reached an agreement to rebrand the ballpark after the longest-running franchise in America's Negro Leagues. The Negro League Baseball Museum owns the Monarchs' name and will get a cut of ticket and merchandise sales. How much would that actually be, though, and what impact would it have on the museum, Eric? I don't know how much that would actually be, especially with the COVID and people going to those games. But let me tell you, it's a feather in the cap of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and Bob Kendrick for helping put that deal together. Don't know exactly the dollars and cents, but keeping that legacy alive is something that's very important. And you're talking about from younger people. Uh, doing that as well. So it's, the, okay. a, it's phenomenal for him. Is there any risk, though, to it, Michael, when uh, the T-Bones has struggled over the years? They were evicted from their ballpark in Wyandotte County in 2019. Does this have a downside? Um, that happened under the previous owners. Uh, the team's been sold. The new owners uh, uh, seem to have the financial wherewithal. And the other thing that they want to do with that ballpark is... is do more than play baseball. They want to have concerts. They want to have other events. They want to make it sort of a multi-use facility as, as much as they can. And I think bringing back the Monarchs name is just out of sight.
Bob Steve. Kendrick was on the radio show yesterday, Nick, and he made a real point of saying that any nonprofit would kill to have a regular revenue stream from something like a deal like this. It's a big win for the museum to underscore Eric's point. When you put a program like this together every week, you can't get to every local story making the headlines. What was the big story we missed? A sexual harassment scandal topples the head of the Boulevard Brewing Company. It may be early days, but Kansas City homicides down more than 40% in January. Relief for renters, the Kansas City area securing $30 million in federal aid to help those struggling to stay in their homes during the pandemic. No return to Kansas for former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. He's taken a think tank job just blocks from the White House. And Prairie Village grabbing the headlines. Will it be the first Johnson County city to decriminalize marijuana? Lisa Rodriguez, did you pick one of those stories or something completely different? You know, I think um, federal funding for rental assistance is huge. We've had we've been under a federal eviction moratorium, but that really is just a Band-Aid solution because it doesn't mean that renters who have been struggling through this pandemic won't have to eventually make up for that rent. The only really meaningful relief for this is if you put money into it, either to alleviate landlords or renters, however that goes. But uh, I think that's a, a major step forward. Michael. Uh, the the woes of the Kansas Department of Labor in terms of fraud and the escalating amount of claims. Uh, they're going to have a moratorium to try and straighten out their computer system over, over this coming weekend. Um, and they, they got to get something done because uh, I, I fear that there really is some fraud and abuse going on under there. Their claims are through the roof. Uh, keep an eye on it. Eric. I did something a little kind of connecting uh, black women across the United States. And this is 2021, the year of the black woman. You got a black woman as vice president of the United States. The NFL just announced a black woman as the assistant coach of an NFL football team. The CEO of Walgreens now is a black woman. So uh, I think this is the year so far of, for black women across the country. Steve. I'm going to agree with the news director of KCUR Public Radio, Nick. Absolutely. Putting money in the pockets of those renters is a huge deal, much needed during this very dark winter. And on that, we will say our week has been reviewed. Our thanks to our news reviewers for checking in with us on the big screen, keeping you up to date weekdays at 9 on KCUR FM, Steve Kraske, and the news director of our NPR station, Lisa Rodriguez, also with us from KNBC 9 News, Michael Mahoney and Eric Wesson of the Call newspaper. And I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS. Keep calm and carry on.